I mean, you know, after this tragedy, will David ever get to become king over the northern kingdom? Would somebody read chapter 4? Now when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage and all Israel was disturbed. Saul's son had two men who were commanders of bands. The name of the one was Banat, and the name of the other was Rechab, sons of Rimon the Berothite, of the sons of Benjamin, for Beroth is also considered part of Benjamin, and the Berothites fled to Gitain and have been aliens there until this day. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a crippled had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. Now it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So the sons of Remon the Berethite, Rechab and Banat, departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat, and they struck him in the belly, and Rechab and Banah, his brother, escaped. Now when they came into the house as he was lying on his bed and in his, in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him. And they took his head and traveled by the way of the Arabah all night. Then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given, has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. David answered Rechab and Banah, his brothers, his brothers, sons of Rimmon the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house, on his bed, shall I not Shall I not now require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? Then David commanded the young men, and they killed him, killed them, and cut off their hands and feet, and hung them beside the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner in Hebron. Okay. Well, you know, without Abner, what's Ishbosheth hat? I mean He's so weak, he has no courage. You know, things are just disintegrating in Israel. There's no power. There's just the, you know, there's just the, the facade that was Ishbosheth. And so you've got two brothers from where? Benjamin. From the tribe of Benjamin. Which tribe was Ishbosheth from? Benjamin. Ben so his fellow Benjaminites. You know, his, uh, two of his uh, commanders, um, what do they do with Ishbosheth? Buy? <laughs> Stabbing him in the stomach. That's really become the preferred killing method here. Right? <laughs> uh, you want techniques of uh, doing uh, someone in, that seems to, to work effectively here. Um, and, and you they kill Ishbosheth, I mean, who else is there from Saul's family to reign as king? They, they have a parenthetical note in verse 4 about Jonathan's, son's Mephib Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. You may read that and think, why do they throw that one in here? You know, we're telling this story about what happens to Ishbosheth. 
But really, what you'll see is that that he had there was no other viable claimant to the throne from Saul's family. The other one who might have done that is crippled, not really able to, you know, lead an army and things like that. So so really, once Ishbosheth is gone, there's really not anybody else in Saul's family that's got, you know, uh, the ability to, to be king. Thoughts and comments as we start into this uh, chapter? It's interesting that in chapter 3, verse 10, they have Abner talked about how he was going to transfer the kingdom, and his death was actually the thing that started that in 4.1. <laughs> yeah, although if he hadn't died, it probably would have happened, yeah. you know, maybe even better. But yeah, you're right. It does kind of lead to that here. And, uh, you know, what are these two brothers thinking? Same as the Yes, that David will, will be very happy. You know, he will love them. He will be excited about this, pleased with this. Isn't that what they're thinking? You know, and uh, so they, they come and tell David. You know, and in fact, what do they bring David? Yes, they bring Ishbosheth's head to David. You know, they're thinking this is just going to pave the way for David becoming king, and he's going to love us for this. You know, and, and they actually say, Thus the Lord, verse 8, has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. They say the Lord is the one that is avenging David this day on Saul's descendants. Not really. I don't really think it's appropriate to accuse the Lord of this uh, very selfish, you know, ambitious, and violent act on the part of these two servants. They had no business killing Ishbosheth. Whether the Lord may want Ishbosheth killed or not is another matter, but I don't think this is the Lord's doing. Austin? It, it just shows you how worldly God's people have become in the sense that that's how other kingdoms are established, by murder, by deceit, by deception. I mean, they, they run all night long to take this head to, to David here because they are. They, they, they are so excited of what they've done and they think it's God's will. Yes. Isn't it common for people to think something is God's will when it's not? You know, think about this for a moment. I mean, shouldn't we give credit to the Lord for his blessings and for the things he's doing. And there's a lot of people who don't give God proper credit. They don't see the hand of God. But should God be given the credit for everything that happens? Well, no. That would be blame in some cases. You know, should we credit God with, uh, you know, inspiring Cain to kill Abel? Or Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit or whatever? No, that clearly was not the Lord's design in this. So I think it's helpful for us to really stop and think a little bit about how it's possible to actually say, well, the Lord is doing this when it's not the Lord because it's not his will. You know, you take a situation like, uh, you know, uh, some, some guy's got a really bad marriage and he can't stand his wife. And all of a sudden, the Lord brings a really nice, attractive Christian woman uh, to work in his office. And that's a sign that the Lord wants him to dump his wife and get this girl. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. 
I mean, is the Lord behind something that's expressly opposed to what he has stated is his will? You know, so there are times when somebody can actually say the Lord's doing something when we shouldn't say that. When they say here, uh, you know, thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. No, they have taken this matter in their own hands without the Lord's permission or authority. And uh, do you have a comment or thought on that or on, on these points? Yes, Seth. Uh, you can almost see the thought process that these two guys might have had. Uh, Abner is this hailed and wonderful person, and he publicly uh, humiliated Ishbosheth and abandoned him and switched sides. And obviously, well, yeah, Saul was anointed by God, but Ishbosheth wasn't. So since that was his reasoning not to kill Saul, this is someone who actually is in his way, and they've already—he was already really saying how great Abner was, even though Abner wasn't that great of a guy. Maybe David would uh, would promote them. Maybe this is a different situation than the situation of the Amalekite. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You can see some reasons why they might have expected this to be favored by David. Um, but I think, bottom line, we often think that, uh, you know, other people will think like we do. And, you know, worldly people expect other people to be as worldly as what they are. You know, what does David do when these guys bring him Ishbosheth's head? Yeah, and then what? And in between? Cuts out their hands and feet and displays them. Wow, he has them killed, cuts off their hands and feet, and hangs them up. As if they could run away. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're really going to limit their mobility when they're dead to cut off their hands and feet? Why do you cut off their hands and feet? They use the hands to kill the king and the feet that they walked all night on. I think that's exactly it. I think the hands committed the murder and the feet brought the head to Hebron to David. And so the hands and the feet are the offending uh, body members that are being punished, you know, by being cut off. You know, kind of a punishment fits the crime. So that's what I think. Clearly. You know, you cannot say that the end justifies the means. Good end? Ishbosheth is gone. David gets to become king. Yes. Good means? No. Um, uh, uh, Their the way of producing that was not honorable before God. We have to do more than just accomplish a good thing. We have to accomplish good things in good ways, God approved ways. Comments and questions on chapter 4. David? I think it's very interesting that we see several people. That, that recognize that David's going to be the next king. Whether they're on David's side or not, people are recognizing this, and they're seeing that as an opportunity to try to get something that they want. And it just goes to show that just because you know what's right, doesn't mean that you can use it for your own gain. You still have to do what's right. And, and to David's credit, he's still, you know, time and time again says, stop, no, this is not the way God wants it done, and publicly shows 
that his stance is we're going to follow God's will, not our own. I mean, he has the public funeral. Uh, he hangs these two body, and you know we're all can see to show that this there, things are going to be different. Good point, Josh. I, I can't help but look at things like verse eight and wonder. I guess the point you made about God not having a hand necessarily and wanting certain things to happen all the time. Um, how do I look at that just personally and see something like the example you gave and say that isn't necessarily God wanting that guy to leave his wife? Or how can I look at that and say maybe that's God wanting an opportunity for him to prove himself for doing what's right? Like, how do I know which is which? Uh, or is it both? You know, is the thorn in David's flesh something to humble David according to God and defeat David according to Satan? You know, there's times when both God and Satan have a purpose. And God, God should not be credited with Satan's purpose. So, yeah, it's certainly not impossible that God and Satan both have a purpose in something that happens. Uh, but, but we should not assume that Satan's purpose should be credited to the Lord. Dave? Just the observation between verse 8 and verse 9, uh, when the two come to him, he says, the Lord has avenged my Lord the King, but David's response was, as the Lord lives who has redeemed my life from all adversity. They're saying, the Lord's done this, and he's saying, the Lord's taken care of me in the past. You know, I don't need your help doing this. Good point. Yeah, good observation. Eric? Why do you think uh, David punishes the Amalekites and these guys, but he doesn't punish like Jonah or Abner? Well, doesn't punish Joab. I mean, Abner, I'm not sure. For Asahel, I mean, that was right. that, that was an act of self-defense. Why well, he doesn't punish Joab, I think, is just because he feels like he needs him, and he's just weak in dealing with people close to him. That's what I'd say. Dave? Why is it so that we're so quick to convince people who are outside the church and yet we won't forget to sin within the church? Yeah, sometimes we can be really inconsistent also where we are, you know, if it's our friends or people we depend on or family sometimes, we may turn a blind eye to something we'd criticize very readily in someone else. That's a good point. Yeah. Jason. And it seems what another thing David's doing here is trying to defend their use of the name of God, because they're trying to drag the name of God into you know just you know, premeditated murder, and trying to give him credit in using this murder to you know defend <coughs> David when you know God had no part of that murder. Is you know what they were doing is nothing short of just blasphemous. Good point. Yeah. Dan. Um. So the purpose of verse 4, the story about Mephibosheth, um, is this only to show that um, uh, Saul's kingship after um, Ishbosheth dies would be left without a leg stand on? Is that basically I think so. Yeah, I think so. Good way to say that, right? I think it's cool to note how, um, how you know, what you said earlier, that you have to accomplish good ends by good means. It's still you know, a concept that's used in the New Testament. I mean, Paul says... Uh, shall we send more to the grace may abound may never be. So it's, I mean, still a concept, and it's still the wrong thing to do if you accomplish good ends by bad ends. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good observation. Austin. I appreciate that David calls Ishbosheth a righteous man. And I, th I think that leads to, to maybe the difference between Abner and stuff. David does not want anybody to ever think that he has grabbed the throne, that he's ever stole the throne. Because again, that, that line was uh, appointed by God, just, just as David was appointed by God. And he, he says he was a righteous man even in his death here. And we know that Ishbosheth wasn't necessarily righteous in, in, in the things that he was doing. Yeah, David certainly is not going to try to uh, take matters into his own hands in any sense to become king. Yeah. Yes? Well, I think this was the punishment. David's the king as such. He's kind of like acting as the government. And the appropriate punishment for murder is to be killed. It would be like capital punishment. So I think this is essentially a capital punishment decreed by David the king on those who have unjustly murdered. I would think so. I mean, I think God says whoever kills a man by man, his blood shall be shed. You know, Genesis 9. Uh, so I... I would think this fits in with the principles in the Bible. <laughs> Evan. Going back to the, uh, the idea of was this the Lord's will or was it some other force, you know, Satan acting here. I go back to the cross. Was that God's will or was that Satan? Yes. That's a correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it may have been God's will for Ishbosheth to die that day. We don't know. But what we know is God has forbid murder. Right. And, and so Satan, using what God's will is, put it at, you know, getting these men to murder. You know, earlier in the chapter, Ishbosheth had lost heart. I don't know what, what other able-bodied man is taking a nap during noon. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen in my house very often. Unless I'm sick. You know. And so Ishbosheth may have been falling under a curse of God at that point. Sure. Anyway. Sure. Yeah, so no it doubt. It been the will of God, and those those men were looking at it and seizing the opportunity to benefit themselves. I just. Yeah. It'd be Judas. Yeah. You know, God used Judas' betrayal doesn't mean that God approved of Judas's betrayal. Judas did the wrong thing. Woe to the one who does this. And yet God used that to contribute to his purpose. Yeah, Willie. Uh, one thing that just kind of struck me too as far as at the very beginning of chapter 2, uh, whenever David is anointed, he, he was already anointed to be king. And you see a lot of these political killings and all this stuff, stuff going on whenever it was unnecessary. He's already been anointed. God made his choice. Just like he did with, with Saul. Saul was anointed. He was king. David was anointed king at the very beginning. But yet you have all these people trying to help in unnecessary ways. The Lord never needs us to do wrong things to accomplish his purpose. That's exactly right. He can get the job done without us ever violating anything God says. Very good point. David. God's way has always been to bring unrighteous against uh, those that are going to come. Yeah, you're right about that too. Yeah, good point. 
Yes. I think that just shows the lack of faith on the people's part. They just they don't have to put in enough trust in the Lord to be able to, to carry out his own purposes. Exactly. Yeah, if we trusted the Lord, then we would not think we had to do wrong so he could get the job done. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Really good uh, discussion. Seth? Is there a significance for Ishbosheth's head and Abner to be buried together? Is there some sort of irony? Seems like there should be. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like there should be, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I guess there is a similarity. Both of them were righteous men who were unjustly murdered. But, I don't know. They obviously didn't like each other too well. There was some animosity between them. <laughs> Torment them forever that they have to be buried together. I don't know. <laughs> why, why didn't they give Ishbosheth, especially considering Ishbosheth was the son of Saul who was anointed king, and David, you know, gives the same respect to Ishbosheth in killing, you know, killing the ones who had killed him as he tried to give towards Saul. Why doesn't he give Ishbosheth his own grave? I don't know. It didn't Me. take up much space, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have a better answer. <laughs> All right, other comments or questions? Go. David never, unlike some of the other kings, he just never really forces his kingdom. He, he just lets God give it to his hands. And, and so both of these instances in chapter 1 here, it's news coming that his kingdom is going to expand. And David seems to just patiently wait for God to bring that about. It's probably food for us to think about in our own lives. He waited a long time, if you think about when he was anointed, and waited through all the persecutions and ups and downs with Saul, and then waits this other seven and a half years with all what happened with Abner and Ishbosheth before he finally became king of the whole kingdom. Uh, it's easy to get impatient with the speed of the God's plan being, uh, you know, uh, carried out. Uh, God doesn't measure time the same way we do. Other thoughts? Better. I was thinking about this other question about, you know, God justifying David's actions. And, and, and um, a friend of mine always brings this question up. You know, how can you justify murder? Regardless of, 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 you know, okay, so he killed him, but there should be better laws, you know, put him to jail or stuff like that. And, and I, I see just the beginning of, of 2 Samuel and how God is barely mentioned. And you have all these assassinations, all these attempts to, to try to look good or, or to try to help uh, for your own gain. And you have these horrible endings for these people. And you say, well, God is to blame for, because his morality seems to be very, very low. When uh, the morality that these people were uh, basically dying by uh, and living by was the reason why they ended up the way they did. So you don't see God so much. In, uh, in these chapters, yet you see all these uh, all, all of this chaos causing these people to die the same way they live. Sure, it's violent and causing death everywhere they go. Sin has consequences. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Well, chapter five. What's going to happen now then with the kingdom? <laughs>